Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, a kid lit podcast for parents, teachers, and writers. I'm Heather Kaufman-Peters. I'm the mother of one teenage boy. I'm a preschool teacher and a writer. And I'm Margie Ozimit, mom to two boys, former middle school teacher, homeschooler, and writer. Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, episode 18. And for this episode, we're going to take a look at some American folktales like werewolves and all those things that go bump in the night, as well as Bigfoot and magicians and ghost raisers. I don't even know what that is. Um, <laughs> I added is, that. <laughs> I know. It's exciting. I can't even wait to find out. So what's new with you? What's happening there? It's cold and snowy, let me guess. <laughs> very, very, very cold here. I will let you know, you know, we have our little land that we purchased. That we're going to build a bunker on pretty soon because that day's coming, girl. That day's coming fast, I think. <laughs> yes, for sure. Well, if we discovered that there were two homestead sites on it and there's remains from one homestead, you'll find me out there with my little... <laughs> Oh my God, you're going to have a dig site. I'm going to have a dig site. <laughs> my little archaeological tools. I'll have it all set up. How old do you think it is? Um, I, Probably late 1800s, early Whoa, 1900s. Whoa, for real? I'll come dig with you. Yeah. And there's, oh, well, we also found out that there's two open wells on the property. <laughs> open? Yeah. Oh yeah. We could have fallen into them at yeah, any point. Be careful. Point. You don't have baby Jessica moment there. <laughs> no, we could have. <laughs> baby Jim. Yeah, baby Jim's in the well. Baby Jim's stuck in the well. He's only seven feet tall, but what else? <laughs> he can literally step back out. <laughs> wow. But does that mean that you could use that as then like a spot to build? No, because you're not supposed to disturb sites like that. So, but there's plenty of space for us to still have a well. home site, <laughs> to dig our own well. No, to have our own home site. So we should be okay. But yeah. And they're kind of on the edges of the property at each edge. Oh, so, so like if I come out there to move during the apocalypse, then I'll be able to just use one of those. Is that cool then? Because oh, I don't sure. think they'll care about like um, archaeological findings in the apocalypse. It's the only thing that's getting me back to Indiana, girl, P.S. <laughs> <laughs> The only reason I would move back to Indiana is the apocalypse. Just the East FYI. Coast is in the strike zone. We're like, yeah, we're in the middle of nowhere. Nobody cares about us. <laughs> I know. And it's just funny because one of the weirdo shows that I was watching, which I do, which when we get to the pick six, we're going to talk about some of these weirdo shows. They were showing like the strike zones and where you're safe. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not. I'm not safe anywhere. Like pretty much the whole Eastern seaboard's gone. Oh, well, I... um. I have done nothing in the past week. I just want to point that out that this is, I've done nothing but watch it snow, complain about it snow, and then listen to my husband complain about why does it snow so much, to which I've always responded because you live in New England. Um, that's it. That's the excitement of our life. There literally is nothing more. And every time it snows, he's, <laughs> which has been every other day for the past couple of weeks, P.S., he's gone to the window. He puts his little hands on his hips and he's like, oh, what is this again? Why it's snowing again. Why it's snowing again. <laughs> I can just picture he's like a little stout guy too. I can just picture. Yeah, you can just say like, <laughs> why it's snowing again. What is this? And the kids, of course, then mock him. What is this? What is this? Why the snow? Because that's what happens when you have a father with a thick accent. So yeah, that's all that's happening here. Nothing but watching it snow. But it's good though, because I've been able to read a lot. Yes. I devoured my book this week. I read two of them, but the one I'd already read before. But this one, I was like, thank God I have good reading <laughs> material. I know, right? It's either too, it's too cold and too snowy to go out. If it's not too cold and snowy to go out, then everything's closed. Um, and, you know, because we're still quarantining for COVID. So it's nice to have some good quality reading. So we're going to bless you people at, that are listening with some more good ideas so you can uh, survive this endless winter <laughs> the winter of my discontent <laughs> all right so shall we dig into these amazing stories that we have and these amazing cool myths from america let's get started For this episode, I read Amari and the Knight Brothers by B.B. Alston and Alatsue by Darcy Little Badger. And I read uh, Evangelina the Bayou by Jan Eldridge and Lemons by Melissa Savage. Shall we start with Amari? This book has been all over Instagram lately. Every kid, and you, Heather, <laughs> has been reading this book. I've seen this everywhere all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because it's it literally just like everywhere, every fantasy myth sort of hashtag is following it. Kids are reading it all over the place. So t I, I want to know. I, I'm really excited to hear about this. Yeah. So Amari and the Night Brothers by B.B. Alston is hot off the presses. I mean, it just came out January 19th 
of this year. Oh my God, really? Yeah. And it's amazing how it's everywhere already. I mean, it's already like a New York Times bestseller. It has hundreds of positive reviews. I mean, it's doing really well. And there's a reason for that because it is so good. Really? Yes, it is so good. I loved it. So it's basically kind of a modern men in black, Harry Potter, monster folklore, black girl magic, all smooshed into one like fantasy story. It's so good. So the main character's name is Amari Peters. Love the last name. Oh, look at that. Peters, go ahead with you. (laughs) So she's a 12-year-old girl that lives with her mother and her much older brother who has been missing for a while at the start of the story. And Amari's older brother, Quentin, is kind of larger than life in her eyes. Uh You know, he's smart, brave, and he really cared about his community, which comes across because he used to volunteer at like the after-school programs. In fact, there's one boy in their neighborhood who sort of falls in with a gang after her brother goes missing because he's not there to watch out for him. And so Amari kind of tries to step up and and tells tells him to hold on, you know, it's going to be okay. And uh, Amari really would do anything to get her brother back. Some people think he might be dead, but she never believes that. How much older are we talking? Like 10 years old. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, she's like middle school age. So anyway, uh, so one night she discovers she has like this weird dream and then she discovers a briefcase in her brother's room that he left for her. And inside it is a nomination to a summer camp at the Bureau of Supernatural Affairs. Oh, how very men in black. I know. It's so awesome. It is very men in black, too. It's so cool. So she thinks, you know, they must know what happened to her brother, right? Because like this is a very right. strange thing. So she goes there. She convinces her mom to let her go there and it's under the guise of summer camp and the, and that's why her brother attended there too as a summer camp and so her mom's like a kind of excited that Amari's following in his footsteps so she's happy to sign her up so she takes her there and drops her off and that's where Amari discovers that there's this whole world that she didn't know about full of fairies and aliens and monsters and magicians and all of that oh god if only I know it's so cool if only right <laughs> that's the thing about it. I liked about it too that kind of took it a step farther the men in black that's really just aliens and I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Anything that's in folklore, all that is all real. As part of the acceptance process into this program, Amari has to touch Merlin's crystal ball, which all the kids have to do is sort of like the sorting hat in a way, but it it gives them their magical power. And their magical power is based on whatever skill that is most dominant that they have. So it's really cool. And when she touches it, though, so she's one of the last kids to go, of course, to build up the suspense. Right. And when she touches it, she discovers that she's a magician and she's almost 100% magical. And in this world, that basically is a crime. Being a magician is a crime because they like to control magic. So the magic that you get from the crystal ball is only like 10% magic or whatever. So they keep people's magical abilities limited because they don't want anyone to take over the world because back in the day, the two Knight brothers decided they wanted to live forever and they used magic and they basically became vampires. Mm. To fight against that, basically, the whole world has turned against magicians and discriminated against them. So interesting, because that was the same thing in last week in the Red Pyramid. It was the same thing about the magicians being evil. And And I think it's interesting, too, because um, in the very beginning of the book, we see her being discriminated at school for being a um, poor black girl. You know, because she was really smart. So she was going to school in a wealthy neighborhood. And of course, Mm -hmm. the kids weren't very nice to her there. And then she comes to this world where you think it's going to be different for her. And it's not any different. She basically is this magician and is treated like a criminal. And And something she has no control over yet again. She's getting right. No control over it. But yet she's able to handle it in a different way than other people, maybe because she's already faced so much discrimination in her life. So this basically that whole um, scene sets up this fast paced adventure of discrimination and bravery and learning to be true to yourself and all those exciting things happen. Anyway, I just loved it. I thought it was so fun and so exciting. Definitely perfect for girls, boys, all of middle grade. That's what I was going to say. Like, would you say upper middle grade, lower middle grade? What do you think? I would say all of middle grade, but definitely like lower middle grade can read this. It's not scary. Okay. It's just an adventure fantasy. It's uh, really good. You know, it has like touches your heart kind of ending. Do you think it's like part of a series? Definitely. Do you think it's- yeah. I definitely think okay. there's going to be more. We'll see more of Amari. Yeah, for sure. Because I mean, it, even though this story ended, it had a very satisfying ending. Okay. You could see 
see where there's probably going to be a whole series because it's created this whole big world. You know, the Bureau of Supernatural Affairs, you have this yeah. whole big world associated with that. So I'm sure there's definitely going to be more, more stories based on this world. And is the world building good? Did you yes, like it? I really liked the world building. I felt like it was all very authentic and natural and uh, just fun because she's learning everything brand new. So you're learning along with her and all the kids around her know so much. I love her best friend is this, uh, her roommate and best friend is a girl who is uh, the last dragon in the world, Mer dragon. Of course. But she hasn't been able to change into a dragon yet. I mean, there's more to it, but I don't want to give spoilers. But yeah. anyway, so I just love that. Like she's a scaredy dragon, basically. Which nice. Is so, so cool. That would totally be me. But she's also like this amazing inventor. And so when she touches the Merlin's crystal, she becomes even stronger inventor, which she already was a good inventor. So it's pretty cool, like a genius level. So yeah, the characters are all great. The brother. And I like this story too, because it's like Harry Potter. There's a lot of adults. It's like a whole full world and everybody's interacting. Of course, the kids still save the day. That's the whole point. Yeah, it's a whole world though. It's very cool. Oh, that's so awesome. I'm so glad to hear that it's a great book because sometimes you see books that get a lot of press and you're like, wait a minute, is this getting a lot of press because it's a really good book or is this getting a lot of press because somehow it's just really well connected? No, I think this is excellent. B.B. Alston did a fantastic job. It's a really good book. And I hope that there will be a lot more in this series. And is this the first book? Is this a debut novel or? Yeah, this is uh, B.B. Alston's debut middle grade novel. Yeah. Is it a man or a woman? Do you know? It's a man. Oh, it is? Awesome. For some reason, I had it in my head that this was written by a woman. Nope. It was written by a man. He did a great job. Do you think he nailed like a female character? Yeah, I think he did a really great job with her. It was authentic sounding? Very authentic sounding, yes. 100%. She also just felt like the younger sibling. Her brother Quentin is not like the main character, but it feels like everything in this book is about him in a way because it's all about her trying to figure out what happened to him. It's always about Quentin, Quentin, Quentin. I know. And she (laughs) she really does live in his shadow, but she doesn't see that as a bad thing. But it isn't until he's missing that she sort of figures out who she is and what she's capable of, you know? So it's pretty cool. Seems like a great mix of like fantasy and mythology myths and legends and folklore and uh, a a little sci-fi in there too, which is a great combo. Yeah, you know, what's interesting in a lot of these um, books that we've been reading about mythology and folklore and everything have been, have had this very science Mm -hmm. base to them kind of thrown in there. In my other books, same thing. There was a lot of science in there. Yeah, not mine. I'm totally throwing (laughs) that out in the world today. (laughs) Mine mine doesn't have much science at all, but it's it's really fun. Oh, speaking of that, what is your book then? Okay, so my first one that I read was is um Evangeline of the Bayou. I found it like I was, I don't know, I somehow found it buried on a list, on a list, on a list. And I was like, the minute that I started reading about it, I'm like, okay, this is fascinating. I've been to New Orleans a few times. One of my very best friends is from Mississippi, but they also spent a lot of time. She she lived in New Orleans for a long time. And I'm really fascinated by Cajun culture. I'm also really fascinated by 90 Day Fiance and they're taking place in the Bayou right now. So that's also one of the, <laughs> it all comes back around. So when I saw this, I was like, oh, I want to read this because I would love to know more about all of the crazy things that happened in the bayou. Yes. I also watched another show about it, the myths and legends that happened in the bayou. So then I was totally into it. So of course, this is by Jan Eldridge. It came out in 2018. And again, it's a great little gem that kind of went unnoticed. I never saw it anywhere. I didn't really see anything. P.S. Jan Eldridge has the greatest website ever. And I urge you to go look at it because A, it's adorable. And B, it's so like thematically falls into everything she does. You can tell she's a girl from the bayou and she really is so into it it's a great website visually it's really awesome so go check that out too but anyway this book it just didn't get attention that it deserves so i hope everyone goes out and reads it especially if you are really into learning more about lesser known American mythology. We all know about Sasquatch. You know, we all know about like some of the big ones, but this one is so interesting. It's about a Rogaru, which I didn't know anything about, but I'm going to educate you about it. Yes, please tell me about it. Okay, so (laughs) Evangeline lives with her grandmother in the bayou and she's very sassy and she's training to become a haunt huntress, which is actually a swamp witch. Awesome. Like she said, she's like, we don't think it's bad, but some people think it's demeaning to call us a swamp witch. So we 
we go by Haunt Huntress, which I like that, you know, I would go by Swamp Witch too, but I guess I can see that's an ugly connotation. So she's training with her grandmother, but she's not 100% sure that she's got, she inherited the genes to become a Haunt Huntress, but she's really hoping. But in order to be a Haunt Huntress, you have to, you kind of come into your full power and you get your animal, kind of like your animal companion at the age of 13. Well, she's about to turn 13 and hers hasn't shown up yet. And so she's a little nervous. And she's also like, she makes a lot of mistakes sometimes, or she doesn't quite do it the way her grandmother would, or it doesn't always work out well when she tries to do it on her own. So she's thinking like, oh, maybe I didn't get it. Maybe I'm just just an average girl and that would really stink. But she's so sassy. She walks around in alligator boots with silver toes, which will come in very important later. <laughs> and she always has her Bowie knife strapped to her leg. And she's just she's a tough little cookie at the very beginning of the book her grandmother's napping and she's in bed and they don't use telephones they use cardinals the cardinal brings messages so she got a message from a cardinal that um, somebody needed to have a spirit removed from their house across the bayou so she goes and takes care of it P.S. She did set their house on fire in the process and she didn't quite get the whole spirit out, but she did pretty good. So this is kind of why she's like, maybe I just don't have the power. When she gets home, she's got a black eye. She's got like a giant slash down her face and everything because it was a rough battle. And her grandmother's like, um, no questions asked. She's like, pack your bags. We have a special case in New Orleans. So they have to go to New Orleans. Her grandmother says they've been called to this case. and But then they haven't actually been called. Her grandmother volunteered them. Of course, Evangeline finds that out because she looked somewhere she shouldn't have as most kids would do as I always did and still do oh I used to go get Christmas presents out of the closet when I was a kid and unwrap them all look at them and put them back me too and then fake surprise I should have gotten an Oscar for some of my award-winning performances is that terrible I would kill my children if they did that but anyway they get to New Orleans they end up in the garden district of this giant mansion and lo and behold the mistress of the house has been they find out when the sun goes down and the moon rises that this woman, this wealthy socialite has been bitten by a rogaroo. And that's basically a half man, half wolf, kind of like a werewolf. Ooh, okay. This is the same beast that killed Evangeline's mother. And that's why they're there to take care of it because grandma is out for some revenge and she can barely walk and she's old and she's tough, but she's going to take care of things. That doesn't always work out the way one thinks, especially in this case. Some small red flags. Yeah, red flag, grandma. But what, what actually ends up happening is that grandma gets put out of commission and Evangeline is 100% sure by this point that she has no powers. She is not a haunt huntress, that she's 100% fraud. But yet suddenly she's the only one left who can defend this whole family against not only the Rogaroo, but all of his crew of beasts because she was bitten by the Alpha Rogaroo. So they had to take on the Alpha and the whole team. And poor old Evangeline is the last one standing. It is such a great book. So let me tell you what a Rogaroo is. So I had to Google it. It's from Cajun mythology, but it was actually adapted from French folklore, uh, medieval French folklore. And it's half man and it's half wolf. And it was called the, my French is so bad. P.S. I speak Turkish and it's not a pretty language like French. Um, Lou Garous a loop gurus, which were like werewolves in, in medieval France, right? So anything bad happened, any violent crime was blamed on the loop guru. So in Cajun, they didn't like that. What it was explaining on this awesome website I found, it was explaining like that in Cajun, they took the French and then they got sloppy with it. So they kind of like took away the pronunciation and it came out to be a rogaroo. And I'm sure I'm not saying that like it was with the right accent or anything. It's R-O-U-G-A-R-O-U. So it's like a rogaroo, rougarou, something like that. A lougarou is what it came from. Anyway, my favorite, there's a bunch of different versions. It all comes down to like, if you look at it, and you don't tell if you see it and it's red beady eyes sees you and you don't tell anyone for 101 days that you won't be cursed. But if you tell somebody, you will be cursed. <laughs> and if you can survive the bite for 101 days, like there's all these different myths that go along with it. My favorite was <laughs> the whole job of the Roguru is to go out and <laughs> hunt lapsed Catholics during the month of Lent in the bayou. Oh my gosh. And it will eat them and kill them. You better watch out. And I was like, I'd last about five minutes, right? (laughs) That sounds exactly like something Sister Nora would have told us back in Catechism at St. Mary's. She would have been like, girl, you know what? The roguer is coming for you. You get in here. You said you were giving up chocolate. You better give it up, girl. Sister Nora was an evil woman. But anyway, I just thought it was so fascinating. The more I wish I would have read about a little bit more about the Roguru before there's no explanation in the book you just see it happening and then you kind of start to make the connection in your mind 
oh, it's a werewolf. It's like a werewolf because everything happens with it, but it doesn't kind of explain the history or anything with it. The one thing I wish it would have had a little bit more, but it was still so great. Yeah, but that's kind of cool because you can look that up yourself or if, as part of a curriculum, that would be really cool to add in the historical. Exactly. And you find out that that's why she wears the silver tips on her boots to protect her because her grandmother had, you know, had battled with the rogue before. And that's why grandma wanted to go back, you know, take on things. It's just got so many unseen twists and turns. I mean, there are so many things that I was like, oh my God, I did not see that coming. That's awesome. It was a great book. So is it scary or no? No. What ages do you think is for this? I don't know. I think at the Lexile level, I would say is a little bit higher because it does have a lot of complex sentences and stuff in it. But I would say a good reader in lower middle grade could handle it. They could definitely handle the story. No problem. But to read it on their own, I think, you know, that might be a little, a good, a solid reader, a strong reader, lower middle grade, but definitely upper middle grade. It's a great book. And it's so interesting. You know, I live in New England. I grew up in the Midwest. I always spent my adult life on the East Coast or overseas. So I don't know. I know a lot of weird mythology. <laughs> like last weekend when I was telling you about the cat licking hair off people, because, you know, everyone should know Mongolian mythology. But I don't know a lot about the bayou. And I find it really fascinating. And I think that we as a culture need to know more about who we are too, because we're really drawn to Celtic mythology or Norse mythology or Greek mythology, but we have really cool stuff here too. It needs to be and that's in my second book too is a lot of actual authentic american stories so yeah and i think this was so cool because it was like oh that came from medieval france and then we did you know like we kind of made it into our own version i love that and it goes back to that sort of like when we were kids that was all a melting pot you and you just you keep your own identity but you melt it into the american patchwork as well it was a really great book i loved it i'd I'd highly recommend it and she's so salty she's just a sassy little nugget you just love her (laughs) you really did love her so anyway so that's a good one what's your second book all right my second book that i read is called a lots away by darcy little badger and that came out just last year so it's fairly new too Epic, awesome name, P.S. Oh, it's so good. A lot. So I, I love saying it. I said it so many times today. <laughs> and now this one is definitely darker. Okay. So the main character of this book is of driving age. So it's definitely for older middle graders, even like lower YA, like eighth, ninth grade, I would say. And there are some cuss words in it too. So if parents don't like that, but I mean, I don't think that's that big of a deal, but this book um, is definitely much darker than the Amari story, but it deals with some of the same themes because Alatsoe is a Lipin Apache. So there's a lot of native uh, stories and themes and stuff like that in this story, which is so cool. Alatsoe's story is based around a murder mystery, which definitely makes it mm. a little bit more for older kids, I would say. I know we've done murder mysteries before, but those were pretty lighthearted. They were still older. Yeah, some were still older, but a lot of the ones we do were kind of lighthearted and funny. Like this book isn't really that funny. It's definitely more serious. So, and it's set in a world that parallels our America, but it's uh, one where uh, things like vampires, fairies, and other supernatural beings are real and native mythologies are real. So the main character, Latsue, who goes by Ellie, like I said, she's a lip and Apache, and she can raise the ghosts of dead animals. This skill has been passed down through generations of women in her family. Uh, she even had one grandmother who raised a mastodon for a pet, raised the ghost of a mastodon of for a pet, yeah. <laughs> and she would ride it around town and people would just see her, like you wouldn't see the mastodon because it's a ghost, obviously, and they would just see of her. Of course, she's just floating along. Yeah, nice. she's floating along, nice. yep. So there's kind of fun stories with that in there, but all the women did know one thing, and that is that you don't ever raise the ghosts of dead people because they don't come back. Ah, okay. Because there's something about animals where they're not aware that they're dead, but people are aware that they're dead, so they come back as something very bad. Okay, this is so like a like WandaVision right now, P.S. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. We just watched that today. Yeah, WandaVision. So good. Oh, my God. So good. Can't stop. It's very WandaVision-esque. All right. Yes. Okay, so Ellie's cousin dies in the story pretty early on in what appears to be a car accident. But he comes to her in a dream and says that he was murdered. Throughout the story, though, because she has this ability, she goes out of her way to not think about her dead cousin too much or she doesn't ever say his name because she is so afraid that she will raise up his ghost and it'll be something really bad, right? Okay, cool. And he keeps haunting her, though, technically, like in her dreams, because he wants her to avenge his murder, basically. So then she sort of becomes obsessed with 
trying to figure out what happened to him. And also, as the story progresses throughout the book, we get stories of Ellie's ancient grandmother, uh, who had the same skill as Ellie and who was also named Alatsue. Some of the stories are sort of to let us know how all of it works, the reader and Ellie. So we learn more about ghost raising and how all that works. And then also some of it is sort of a cautionary tale. So you know, you're going. this is kind of headed maybe someplace dark. Yeah. But it was so fascinating to hear those tales. So then basically, because she wants to know what happened to her cousin, because she is wor- wondering, like, and he also begs her to protect his wife and son. Um, so she feels like this, you know, weight on her to make sure that they are safe. So she goes to Texas where they lived. Her mom's already there because she's been helping with the baby and she stays there. And basically she and her ghost dog. (laughs) Oh my God, I want a ghost dog. That would be nice. Cheaper for the food, (laughs) P.S. And her friends who her one best friend is a guy and he is a fairy. And then his sister and all of her friends are basically sort of become her friends too. And his sister and her friends are all these badass basketball players. So they're like really cool. But anyway, so they end up in this oddly perfect, basically too perfect town in Texas where everything, the grass is green, even though everywhere else around it is dead. Like Pleasantville. You know, yeah, exactly. And so it's like, obviously, something weird is going on there. And they end up investigating this doctor to see who seems to have a magical ability to heal people. But they soon kind of figure out what the consequences of that. And it's, it sends them on this really cool adventure of trying to stop him. It sounds very YA, like a lot of the cool elements of YA, you know what I mean? Like, and a little more, the characters got a little more freedom and a little more adult, like adultish, I guess I should say. Yeah, I was kind of torn on that, I will say, because I felt like there's some of the trips away that definitely aren't there. There's no like romance. I was going to ask, I was just going to ask that no love. Good. Cause I get to, I don't like, I mean, even life. they even go to the point of kind of implying that a lot. is um, asexual. Cool. So yeah, which was, it was kind of cool. And she does talk often about how she's never going to have kids and stuff like that. You know, it's a little bit YA ish, but, but definitely it's not as serious. I think it was kind of promoted as YA, but I really definitely think it's more upper middle grade. Yeah. Even with the cuss words, even with the murder, even with it being a little bit more serious because of, the adventure that they go on it feels very middle uh middle grade to me more than ya i don't know and you know the lines are so blurred between upper middle grade and ya and stuff so are the lines with the kids though i mean some kids especially girls not you know just not for nothing but girls are more mature and a lot of girls can handle this kind of book in seventh grade where a boy might not get it or might not be immature enough to handle it until later on and vice versa you know there's different things so i think that you you gotta have a smorgasbord out there and i think that's great i definitely can picture like an eighth or ninth grade a ninth grader really enjoying this book i think maybe like 11th or 12th grader might not think it was you know up their alley might you know at that point they don't even read anymore they're just like i'm out i'm out i'm out i'm just on my phone (laughs) yeah let's let's put it that way it's definitely like a middle grader would read it at least there were so many things in this book that i just found so fascinating because we've been reading all these fantasy stories right and they're really super fast-paced and all this action is happening yeah this one it's so weird i don't even know how to describe it because it was there was a lot of action that happened and a lot of crazy stuff going on but the pace of it just felt so like surreal it almost felt like somebody was reading you like an old folk tale. You know, like it was almost like you're just being told this story. And it, yeah, it didn't feel so like amped up, you know, but it, yet it was still had all of those elements in there. I was trying to think about how I would describe that. I just, that's all I can say about it is just, it was very even keel, but yet had all of those elements in there. That's really interesting because as I, you know, like I've said quite a few times is that sometimes it's just too much when it's like, especially like that was one of my biggest criticism in the Rick Reardon books that we've read. And it's just too much. I need a break. I, it's too much action. It's too much constant. It's just, I feel like I'm watching a blow em up movie. Like, you know, like one of those movies that my husband makes me watch on the rare occasion that we actually watch something besides reality television together. But you know what I mean? Like, I, it's too much. It's too much. Right. Those car chase movies. Yeah. Where they figured out if you just have a whole movie of car chases that people will like it. Yes. And, and yes. And those people are men. But yeah, I think that's really interesting. And that makes me interested in reading it now. Not, not just that. But um, because I think it's really 
cool to try to, how do you do that? It's, it's easy to write the pace going, 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 but how do you write the action going, but keep the pace from being like anxiety provoking. I think that's a great lesson. Right. Maybe that's where a little bit of the YA comes into this story because it is, there are kind of moments that slow down for them to talk and have relationships and, and, you know, discuss other things. Also, I thought one thing that was really cool is that the mother is in the whole story and she actually plays a pretty significant role in it too, which I thought was really neat. Thank God, we don't have to kill her off. Now the dad is in the beginning and the end. No, we have to kill somebody off. Well, he he doesn't die, but he's in the beginning and the end and that's it. But the mom actually it's I thought it was kind of cool because and I even wondered if that's sort of the more of an even Native American element of it because there's so much focus on the closeness of family and having the mom there and not her and her not having like this weird contentious relationship with her mom that are in a lot of middle grade books and YA books. The whole thing honestly to get so much of the perspective of the Lip and Apache story in there too is so fascinating. Again, so American, right? These amazing hardcore American stories that we just definitely don't see enough of. So I'm hoping that Darcy Little Badger is just getting warmed up and is going to have a whole bunch of cool stories for us and other people out there too. Just one of the things that comes up in the story, it just talks about seeing the president's faces on the money and how hard that is especially what they ah. call referred to as the Indian killer Jackson on the $20 bill. Yeah. I was just like, Oh my gosh, you know, things like that, that we just don't think about that. Yeah. How hard is that? Andrew Jackson's not going to be on the 20 anymore. Isn't it going to be uh, Rosa Parks? Is there- I think so. Let's hope. Let's hope. Finally, once we get all the other trauma dramas through Congress, but you know what, they're on vacation now. So who cares? Uh, because that's how life works. <laughs> <laughs> when you have a lot of work to do, you get, let's take a week off. Right. I can't complain though. Actually, we're on a week off right now. We took a, and it, this is this great thing in New England. We have winter break week. Ooh, nice. So in New England, the week of President's Day is always off because the New England winters are so yucky and gross. You always have school break week for a week now. And then we also have spring break too, but we have that week. That's also why we go through the end of June and you people are off somewhere in the middle of May. So. You know, you can't really survive a New England winter without a little breather in the middle because it's just so miserable. And of course, you know what it's going to do for this winter break week? Snow. It's literally going to snow. So that sounds like such a cool book. It's a really cool book. I had mentioned earlier that there is like some science in all the books that I read too. And like this one, it's kind of cool because the fairies that live in America can travel through fairy rings that are based on mushroom power. (laughs) Awesome. But at one point they say, you know, they call them fairy rings, but they're basically just wormholes. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I think it's interesting how a lot of these books try to tie magic and science, you know, have a scientific explanation for some of the magic. Science just magic. Yeah, that we haven't figured out yet. Yeah. Science is just magic. Yeah, it's so cool. So I thought that was kind of cool too. And also uh, the story of Icarus and uh, John Milton comes up in this book too, which I mean, I think I love all those references, especially, you know, from a teacher's perspective. I do too. It's funny. We just read Icarus, my my youngest and I just read it the other day and he's like, that's a really good story. And I'm like, yeah, it is. It really is a good story. And then we like, we were walking through Target later and he said something about Daedalus and I'm like, oh, what seven-year-old is like, oh, that reminds me of Daedalus. <laughs> <laughs> the ones that have awesome homeschool teachers. <laughs> That's so cool. All right. Right. Well, so my second book, I have an obsession, right? I have a massive obsession. My entire family does with Bigfoot. And it comes from my husband because, of course, you know, as a man who was not born nor raised in this country, this thought is fascinating to him that people actually believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> and so he find Sasquatch, everything about Sasquatch to be the most entertaining thing ever. And he's even gone so far as to want to buy himself a Sasquatch suit and walk through the woods until I remind him that he's only 5'9". And that's not going to work. No. Oh my gosh. I was out at an antique mall the other day because it's one of the few places where you can go where it's a huge monstrous building and you feel like there's enough circulation, you know? Yes. Right. And they, there was a seven foot tall iron cutout of a Bigfoot that I was like, we have got to buy that. <laughs> that is cool. I put it on our, our little piece of land. <laughs> yes. Did you buy it? 
No, I didn't. It'll be waiting for you. Yeah, it will be. I'll definitely go back for that. Oh, I also wanted to jump in really quick and tell you that there was Bigfoot in the Amari story. And he was a real estate agent because the Sasquatch owned so much of the forest land. And so he should. It was the best. (laughs) So anyway, go ahead. Well, I've read a lot of, and I've talked a lot about um, Sasquatch books in the chapter books on this, on this pod and some other stuff, but I wanted to find a really good book about Bigfoot. And I was thinking back and I remembered this one and it's from 2017, I think late 2017. And it was Lemons by Melissa Savage. And I love this book because I love Sasquatch. And because Lemons, the girl in the book, Lemonade doesn't really like Sasquatch, but she's gotten sucked into this world. So it's really cool. It's it's it was a cute little book. The book was everywhere. Definitely, I would put it in the lower middle grade category, which is awesome because we need lots of those. You could also definitely give it to an older kid, especially if they had an interest in folklore or the whole idea of it. The thing I like so much about this book is it's set in 1974. I believe that was just a few years ago, (laughs) but apparently that's historical at this point. And if you think of it, I mean, it's got, it's almost 50 years ago, but it's not yet 50 years ago, (laughs) but it's close. So it's set in 1974 and 10-year-old Lemonade Liberty Witt is sent to live with her grandfather. She has been living in San Francisco and she's sent to live with her grandfather who she's never met. And she's sent to live with him in a small town in Northern California. And you're not quite sure what happened, but we do soon find out that her mother has died and there's no one to take her. And it was just her and her mom and her mom died from cancer and she's got to go live with somebody. And the only living relative they found was her grandfather. And her grandfather was also estranged from her mother. So this is a really uncomfortable situation from the get-go. And so so very 70s PS. So very 70s. And her grandfather owns like a tourist trap where he kind of like sells Bigfoot memorabilia. Yeah, that's very 70s too. I love it. Right? Especially, right? So um, she's miserable. She doesn't want to go. She doesn't want to live there. She doesn't know this old man. This old man is cranky. He only lets her eat like bran flakes in the morning. And you know what 10 year old needs bran flakes? None. Absolutely none. <laughs> I mean, no kid needs any help in that area. <laughs> she's miserable and her she meets a, a neighbor kid tobin sky and tobin is a little runty nerdy dude and finally he introduces her he is actually the ceo of bigfoot detectives inc he has a setup in the garage he has his own phone line and everything and he allows her to answer the phone in the garage as his assistant and she's not a fan of that and he's such a nerd that he's getting like crank calls and all kinds of other stuff but eventually they get some good tips And he finally realizes he can't handle all these tips on his own. So he lets Lem kind of be his assistant, but she's like, I'm not going to be your assistant. I don't know what we can be co-partners. So they have this sort of tumultuous relationship, these two little nerdy kids who can't decide like who's the CEO and who's the, you know, who's going to be in charge. And it's adorable. It is adorable. There's a little old neighbor lady who always calls them to say that she's pretty sure she saw Bigfoot in her backyard. Oh, but I just happened to have made fresh cookies while you're here. And she used to be like the elementary teacher. And I mean, it's just, it's adorable. It's just so many great parts of it. We soon learn that Tobin is not, he's really confident, but at the end of the day, that's not his whole story he's getting bullied a lot by a lot of kids in town and his father never returned from vietnam and vietnam plays a pretty prominent role in this and that sort of my dad left and never came back again it would be a great teaching moment if you paired this with learning about vietnam i think would be so great in a school unit or something it would be really interesting and you know lots of things happen throughout the book it's a really great book it's not one of those like constant constant action-packed thriller kind of things it's really a great little coming of age story and it's not just lemon that's cut lemonade that's coming of age her grandfather's got to come of age and figure out where he went wrong in this whole mess and and tobin's got to figure out kind of where he went wrong and why he believes things and tobin's mom is you know is very busy she's a single mom she's a nurse he doesn't spend a lot of time with his mom it's very true to the fact of what we lived like in the 70s like how we were so much on our own and it's very clear It's a great little book. It's a great book. And Bigfoot is very prominent. But, you know, Bigfoot's not always what you think he is. And I think it's a a good book. It's a good book for younger kids. It's a great story for younger kids. And it gives you the story of Sasquatch. I always love those kind of books, like chapter books or early middle grade that have detective agencies in them. I always love That are run by 10-year-olds. I love it. I just love it so much. So I also have a little bit of Bigfoot info for you. Oh, what's that? Actually, the whole myth theory of Bigfoot in America... Now, we know we have like yetis that have been in Asia for many years and things like that. Um, But Bigfoot in America started in 1958 when a journalist, 
uh, Andrew Ganzoli got a letter from a reader about mysterious footprints in a Northern California uh, logging site. And he decided to publish this letter and the information from this letter. And he thought it would just be like a joke, like, ha, 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 that's really funny. And people ran with it and people were fascinated and that it just like it literally snowballed from there. So it really did all start in Northern California. The Western Canada Staalis Nation, it's S-T-S apostrophe A-I-L-E-S nation, like a native nation. Um, they used to talk a lot about Sasquets and they had uh, spoke their kind of historical um, oral history talked a lot about Sasquets, which they think is <clears throat> the origin of Sasquatch. Oh, cool. And the Western Canada, Northern California, thus Sasquatch came into being. How cool. I am the queen of Guggen today, girl. I love it. That's fascinating. I think it's really interesting. All right. I think it was interesting just to kind of hear, like, where did we get this? And of course, I've watched a lot of documentaries on Bigfoot. So I knew about the, how it all kind of originated in upstate Washington and Northern California up in there but i didn't know anymore but and it's huge in the south there are all those hunters are going after sasquatch in the south and i just think because they're drunk but i think it's interesting too that there's such an obsession with it at a time when we're losing a lot of our forests it's almost like that people are are uh nostalgic for even just being in the forest and it's a reason to be in the forest and it's a reason to be in love with the forest you know to that there might be secrets still in there and and i think like from a lot of the documentaries i watch because you know what? I've watched a lot of documentaries on Bigfoot hunters because I think those people are insane and I need to know more about them. They really do think that it's not just, I always thought there was one when I was a kid. I always thought there was like one, but they think it's actually like a breed of a bipedal primate that's sort of still in hiding. And I, you know, it hasn't ever been discovered. I don't know. I saw Harry and the Hendersons. I know what happened, but, you know. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting. It's interesting how to see how folklore, and that's why I wanted to find something with for American myths. I think Sasquatch Bigfoot, one of the greatest American myths, one of the most popular. I wanted to know more about it. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was cool. Very cool. And that was Lemons by Melissa Savage. Cute. It's a cute book. So we had a couple of uh, lower and upper middle, huh? Yeah, we had a good range. Yeah, we did good. Awesome. So those are some great options. Learn more about American myths and stories. I love it. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to give you our pick six. For today's pick six, we're going to take a look at six great shows based on myth and folklore that you can watch with your middle graders or your whole family. So Margie, what's your first choice? Or you can go through all three if you want. All right. So uh, the first one, I think it's pretty common known, um, Expedition Unknown with Josh Gates. And that one is... My husband got me hooked on this and um, he got us all hooked on this. So Josh Gates is this sort of, he's kind of like an Indiana Jones, but he's a little bit chunky and a little bit goofy. And he goes all over the world looking into myths, lost cities, mysteries, legends, like the Bermuda Triangle. There was a really great one. I think he was, he started at Chichen Itza, I think is where he started. And then he kind of went through like some lost Mayan cities. And um, we come back to last week's story, the Explorer discussion. (laughs) But it's a really good show. It was also, I, it's a good show. And he goes all over and he kind of finds the truth, but the people in that area. But he also did this great thing where he kind of did a nerdy talk show during when COVID first hit and he would do it at a desk in his house and then he'd zoom in with some of these people. And there was a great episode where he was just learning in his backyard. He was trying to teach himself how to snap a, a whip like Indiana Jones. I mean, like he's just goofy and he really liked this guy. So you kind of want to go on these adventures with him. And it's on the Discovery Plus. You can discovery.com, Discovery Channel, however you get your television. But all of these shows that I'm talking about, you can find them online, the full episodes online. A lot of these are really big in the homeschooling community too, because people are like, you know, it's a great way to kind of look more in depth than um, than just, you know, reading about it or something. Mm-hmm. The second show is my new obsession. And this is a really new show. And the first one came out at Thanksgiving and there's only been, I think there's only five episodes so far. And this is what got me sucked into finding Evangelina the Bayou because I watched episode four, Curse of the Bayou. And it's called the Atlas of Cursed Places, like the book, 
but this is a version, kind of a live version of the book, sort of like Atlas Obscura, one of those. And this guy, Sam Sheridan, who, you know, is a Massachusetts guy. It's on National Geographic. He goes to these places. Like he went to, I think it was West Virginia, where the Mothman, they believe the Mothman is there, right? And how the Mothman brought the bridge down and the Mothman cursed the land. And he does all this stuff. He interviews all these people. And then he takes the science and compares the science to the myth to see what is this? Yes, this land doesn't grow. Why doesn't this land grow? Is it cursed by a Native American chief, like they said? Is it the Mothman cursing them? Or is it the fact that years and years of strip mining have been running off into this one specific area that has made it happen? It is so good. It is such a great show. I cannot wait for more episodes to come. It's called The Atlas of Cursed Places. It's really fun. He is just like this sarcastic sort of surly east coaster so perfect for middle graders exactly um my son and i we like sat down and binge watched all five episodes one day and he was just as into it as i was and he's a seventh grader so um it's a really cool show the one on the curse of the bayou is just fascinating and he explains like this she's kind of like a voodoo priestess that lived in this one end of the bayou and she cursed the loggers and at the same time she the day, like the day they buried her a hurricane came in and washed away that entire section of the bayou and was it her was it because of her and her curse was it because of the loggers was it because it was a once in a lifetime hurricane that's what he tries to figure out and then he goes to all these like goes to this hurricane lab and he goes to all these places it is a science nerd's dream it is a myth nerd dream obviously that's why i like it so it's a really great one okay i have all kinds of shows that i like on sasquatch but then at the last minute i decided to go to change because i found this really cool thing this morning which is not a television show but at the same time, it kind of ties in. So go with me on this one. And it's called Radio Garden. And I just found this today from one of the one of my homeschool groups. Somebody kind of pointed me in this direction. And this is something my kids and I had an absolute ball with this. And even though it's not directly related to myths, it opens up a whole lot of time, place for discussion and, and um, sort of inquiry that you might not have. Radio Garden, if you just type in radio.garden and it will come right up. It will come right up into where you are. So immediately we got like Boston radio station pops right up. It's got all these green dots. You push on any green dot in the world and it takes you to the radio stations that are live at that moment in that country. So all of a sudden I was like, well, let's type in Izmir, Turkey. And my old radio station I used to listen to in Izmir, Turkey. I'm listening to it live. Cool. And then all of a sudden my son was like, let's go to Kenya. So we went to Kenya. You just like, you literally scroll down, you can type it in or you can just punch any place on the map and you're right there. So that led us down a whole nother rabbit hole where we were like, let's go to Bosnia and Herzegovina. And then my my husband was in and he's like, well, let's go to Kenya. So we all like we just kept going around listening to different languages. It's all different music or different conversations in different languages, which then my son was like, I'd like to know more about this country. So then we look up more about this country. So it's a really great kind of bizarre, but yet really cool thing to do with your kids. And it's called Radio Garden. Is it radiogarden.com? Is that where you find it? Radio.garden. You just type in radio.garden and you can get an app. There's an app for your phone. You can put it in in your browser. My son would love that because, you know, he loves languages so much. He would love it. Yeah. That's cool. Then we got into a discussion about, well, like, well, yeah, that music, we went to, uh, I think we were in Moscow. I don't remember somewhere. We were in Moscow or, Serb, or you know, like Siberia or something. And it was sort of like, ooch, 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 like night dance music. And my my older son was explaining to my little one. He's like, well, yeah, that's because right now is the time where these people would be going out to the club. And like this is the kind of music you would want to have at that time. Gosh, you could talk about time zones, music differences, cultural differences. Anything. Yes. Look them up on the map to get some geography in there. I mean, yeah, that's so cool. I mean, there's so many great shows, but I also just found this today and I thought, oh, this is so interesting. So interesting. So radio garden. Very, very cool. Love it. All right. So I was cracking up because when I was reading our little script today, I was like, you went all cool, like nonfiction documentary on me, which I would normally do. But and I thought of this as a totally opposite way of like fun fiction movies. So I I came up with a list of fiction movies for fun. Harry and the Hendersons. Because oh. <laughs> you know me and our movie nights. So I don't know. I guess my brain just went there when I was thinking of things to watch with your middle grader. Um, so and mine are probably more family oriented, but I'm 
hoping that your middle grader is not too jaded to watch some of these shows, but definitely like your probably lower middle grader would still get into them. But the first one I was going to talk about was Finding Ohana, which I think I told you about this one, Margie, before. Yeah. And it's on Netflix. I watched it the, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. It was so fun. It's basically like a modern Goonies, if you ever watch. Oh, cool. You know, I, Goonies is one of my faves from when I was Goonies a kid. is super hot with the middle school set it again. Is it? Oh, good. Because really trendy, I yep. love that show. And so this is very, very much Goonies. I would definitely, I mean, they almost follow the actual you know, plot pretty closely. Oh, really? Yeah, but it's set in Hawaii, which is so cool. And you have this family who's worried about keeping their home because they they lived in New York, the mom and the two kids after their dad was killed in, he was a military guy. So they're coming back from New York because her father needs some help and he can't afford the family homestead anymore. And so the kid, everybody's kind of worried about what's going to happen because they can't afford their New York apartment and the Hawaiian home that their families lived on for generations. So so there's that sort of money worries that are hanging over everything. And the kids go in search of this treasure because they find their, uh, the daughter finds their mom's old treasure map of this ancient Hawaiian sun god. It's just such a cool thing because they end up inside a mountain, you know, just some very similar to Goonie trying to track down this treasure. But it's so great because it's Hawaiian mythology. Which is fascinating. Oh, yeah. And this really just cool new kind of mythology that you don't always get. So I just loved it. I cried at the end of that movie. It was so fun. It was really good and really cool. And the Hawaiian aspect of it was fascinating. Plus, it's so bitterly cold here and watching a movie set in Hawaii right now. Yeah. Oh my God. Right. Just seeing the sun, even on television would be nice. Right. And there's four kids, two uh, teenagers and two middle graders. So anyway, I thought that was a really good one. And then of course, number two, do you mention it last time? So good. The Dora the Explorer movie. I had to go watch it. And she even texted me during the week to tell me that she was watching it. And I was like, yeah, girl. I couldn't believe how good it was. It was so good. P.S. Diego is a sarcastic sassy pants and that's why it's so good yeah because he's like trying to be normal and dora cannot even begin to be normal she doesn't even realize she's not being normal right. that's what i love about her she's just such a dora she's literally dora just like elongated that's what's so funny and everybody is like girl and she has no clue i loved it i just thought it was hilarious it's definitely like a wonderful modern like for kids who grew up watching that cartoon i think they would love this movie oh yeah my son thought my older yeah. son thought it was hilarious yeah. because he's like that's exactly what I would have imagined to happen. It's got that kind of snarky middle grade sense of humor anyway about making fun of kind of what Dora is and then also you fall in love with Dora so it's just fantastic. But I also felt like you could watch it with a little kid that was a Dora fan and they'd be okay. They just wouldn't miss, it's like they would miss all the funny parts but they'd still like it. Oh for sure. Yeah, the whole family can definitely watch this one and I honestly thought the parents were hysterical. I love the parents. They are a mess. I love the parents. Dora's mom and dad are the funniest because they are just a disaster. And I love it. And they just look at her like, who are you talking to? And they're so worried because she was homeschooled this whole whole time. And they're afraid she's weird. So they make her go to high school. Yeah, just talk to monkeys all the time. (laughs) I definitely think like homeschool kids would also get a lot of the kind of jokes that are in there. Yeah. Because it's sort of all the typical cliche things people say about homeschool school kids and stuff. It was so cute. So in that one, it was Dora the Explorer and the, what is it called again? I forget. Um, uh, Dora and the Hunt for the Magic City, or the City of Gold. City of Gold, yeah. Goog the live action Dora movie and you'll get all the information about it. Yeah, and so in that, then of course, there's all this amazing South American mythology of the sun god. It's really interesting. And visually, it's amazing. Yeah. Stunning visuals. And then I threw the last one on my list, I threw in just for myself because a lot of the books- I've never seen this movie. You have, oh my God, you, okay, never. wait. Never. So a lot of the books that we read kind of had magic in them. And so my very favorite magic movie is called Bedknobs and Broomsticks. I don't even know when this movie came out, probably in the 50s or 60s. Well, you're a lot older than me, so. (laughs) (laughs) I should have looked that up, I guess. Hold on, let me see. Let me look up when it came out because that was fascinating. Oh, 1971. Let's see, you are a lot older than me. You were already around then. (laughs) I wasn't even alive then. Okay, so Bedknobs and Broomsticks came out in 1971. It is is so good though. Okay, so I just recently watched it because I was thinking about it the other day. It has my one of my very favorite actresses in it, Angela Lansbury. <laughs> She's in murder, she wrote. <laughs> You're in geriatric, PS. <laughs> 
You are so ready to go live at Shady Pines already. My God. <laughs> it's terrible. You're so old. You are such an old lady. You know what? You, you, listeners, let me just tell you. There are many, many times I will be like, what do you watch it? I'll call. I'll, you know, like be on the FaceTime. Oh, I was just watching Murder, She Wrote. Hello? What year is this? I was just watching Murder, She Wrote again. <laughs> She's so old. I'm having my tea with my shawl on. <laughs> oh my God. I only laugh because it's all true. Oh my God. It's a hundred percent true. <laughs> She's all wrapped up in her shawl, sipping her tea, watching Murder She Wrote. She probably smells like Ben Gay. No, no. <laughs> Putting on her orthopedic slippers. <laughs> just just because you know her hip hurts from the bursitis. <laughs> It's not, oh it's not that God. bad yet. Almost, almost. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, so I do watch a lot of murder she wrote. I don't know why it comforts me. Because you're old. <laughs> you're old. Okay, so I don't want to make it seem like this movie is not fun though. <laughs> <laughs> now that I'm cry laughing. I mean, it's fun if you're 90. <laughs> it's totally okay. So so this is a story set it's it came out in 71 but it was set shortly after world war no yeah shortly after world war one it's before world war ii because they're always on the hunt for nazis and it's set in england they're always keeping an eye out for nazis and it's like you <laughs> i am i'm always vigilant about the damn nazis that is true um, well, you are in indiana so I mean, maybe it can happen um so basically the main character angela lansbury who she's quite lovely and young in this movie but she is she is because it's a 50 year old movie <laughs> Of course, 50 years ago, she was young. That's even when she played the teacup in Beauty and the Beast, she was young. <laughs> or the whatever she was. Okay. Oh, my God. The main character is this woman who she's a young woman who lives on her own in this estate. And she is so cool, but she's trying to teach herself magic. She has written a way to one of those learn magic for at home kind of things. <laughs> And, and but it's set during that time where children were sent out in the countryside to live with people to keep them safe. And so these two kids um, who end up at her doorstep and she has to take them in. And, but it's so fun for a kid, I think, because she just basically treats them like they're just people like she's like doing her own thing and they're just they're there and she kind of interacts with them but they, but they're like trying to figure out what she's up to and uh and then they once they find out she's learning magic they like really are supportive of her and it's real it's so fun and they end up going to into london anyway she's trying to learn magic so that she can help fight the nazis and everything so and she can't finish her degree yet until she gets this final spell and they don't send her her final spell because they had to shut down their op the magical school and all this stuff so they go to london to get the spell it's just a fun story and I was surprised by how much how well it held up I thought oh I think kids today would still really enjoy it and it was really fun and it has like you know songs and it's a Disney movie so you know it's a very very famous Disney movie yes, I, I will admit yeah it's a very well-known Disney movie but I didn't know <laughs> people still watch of course. What else do you have to do? We're snowed in. It's COVID. I had a lot of things to do. I'm just saying. <laughs> WandaVision. I just watched. Okay. I had to catch up on yeah, WandaVision. Yeah, parents, if yeah. you are looking for somebody to watch, watch WandaVision. It's on Disney Plus, right? Yeah, another good Disney. So while you're in there watching, in, in Disney, watching Ben Knobs and Broomsticks. Yes, there you go. Check out WandaVision. Because I, that's and I will say, I think I misspoke because I don't know if I said, mentioned before that my one, sh the one show, the um, Atlas of of Cursed Places is on the National Geographic channel. There is a lot of really great uh, National Geographic shows on, on Disney+. Disney Plus. So many of them are, like, my son and I watched a really cool one. I, I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head, but it was a guy trying to find a Yeti in Nepal. And, like, he was kind of like scientifically searching for a Yeti in, in Nepal. So there, there's some really great stuff on there too. Yeah. It's good stuff. Old people like it, like Heather. <laughs> oh, geriatric Heather. <laughs> I'm going to leave in your singing. Oh, that was a great chat. And you know what? <laughs> I laughed harder making fun of you than I've laughed in quite a few days. So that was good, Grandma. And so <laughs> What's on deck for episode 19? <laughs> Let's bring it down a notch that we've been laughing and I'm going to say something really serious right? and it's going to be so bad. <laughs>
Um, our next episode, we're going to take a look at two books that dive into divorce, um, How to Make Friends with the Sea by Tanya Guerrero and Love Like Sky by Leslie C. I'm excited Youngblood. about these two. So, Yeah, I am. Are you? I'm kind of, I hope they're not sad. I don't- you know, I'm not a child of divorce. I am a child of parent death, but not divorce. And I think that it's really important for even people that didn't, I haven't been divorced. I didn't go through a divorce. I want to know more. I, I think it's really important to be from an adult perspective, from a teacher perspective, to be able to kind of get a little bit more um, understanding on that and the kid's perspective on that. So I think it'll be interesting. That's a good point. Um, and you you mentioned uh, both those are multicultural too. So that's cool. Yeah. One takes place in the Philippines and then Love Like Sky is... It's um, a tale about an African-American family going through divorce. That'd be cool. Both are great. Um, it's going to be fun. If Heather can get her walker there when she's had her fiber. <laughs> I'll start now. All right. All right. Well, I guess that's a wrap for us this time. Um, if you want to join us twice a month for kidlit discussions um, and geriatric discussions. Or the youth. I am the youthful one. I do keep it youthful. <laughs> Whatever you get chased by coyotes. <laughs> Well, that's true. P.S. You know, it's coyote mating season and there is a warning on the news out here that it's coyote mating season and you should be on the lookout because they're out and they're prowling and from February until um, the end of March, beginning of April. So you know what? Not going running, not going walking, not going anywhere. I bought myself a new exercise bike, which my husband tries to claim that's my Valentine's Day present. No, I don't think so. And I'm going to be biking inside until mating season for the coyotes is over. Just saying. I had incidents. Did you ever think in your life you would have to worry about mating season of coyotes? <laughs> Did I know? No. Did I ever think I'd also have to worry about a septic tank, a generator, and a well in my backyard? No. Massachusetts, I thought you were cutting edge. What is this crap? At least you don't have wells that you can fall into. Right. I don't even know where mine is. <laughs> I guess at least they're not werewolves you're worrying about, just coyotes. <laughs> oh, my God. If you want to find out what's happening in our world and you want to see pictures of my cat, because there's a lot of that on there, and you want to see pictures of the things that I bake, because there's a lot of that on there, <laughs> sign up and follow us on Two Lip Mamas Podcast on Instagram or Two Lip mama's on facebook because that's where heather is with all the other geriatrics <laughs> and of course on our website www.twolipmamas.com where you can find live episodes and so much more that's it for us thanks for listening bye have a great week bye